You're listening to The Blueprint, brought to you by Executive Platforms. In every episode, we will discuss the topics and trends, the issues and ideas, the challenges and opportunities facing senior business leaders today. This series is one more way we want to engage with our network of industry executives. Thanks for joining us. Hello again, everyone. You're joining us for another episode of the Executive Platform's Blueprint Podcast Series. My name is Jeff Mix. I'm Head of Content and Research. My guest today is Willem Sundblad of Odin Technologies. We're going to be having a conversation about how getting the right information to uh, frontline workers has an enormous ROI and uh, how technology is making that happen in ways that you know, manufacturers should be taking advantage of right now. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Willem, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Great to be here again. Now, you were giving a workshop yesterday uh, mm-hmm. about some of the things that your organization is doing, and, and you had a client speaking as well. Um, why don't you give us an overview of what you talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So we really talked about empowering frontline staff with data and information so that they can take better decisions and, and actions in real time. I think you know for the last couple of years, everyone's been focused on digital transformation. But the rubber really meets the road when you're talking about the frontline staff, you know, specifically operators and engineers. So operations and engineering teams on the factory floor. What are they going to do differently now that they weren't doing before in order to drive a more efficient process? And I think especially over the last couple of years, the goal may have been for a lot of people to just increase output. And there may be more um, brute force ways of achieving that. But now with the economy, people are starting to think a lot more about how to become more lean, how to become more efficient. We're seeing that across the board. Um, so it puts an even bigger emphasis on, on the people. And of course, we're also operating in an environment of uh, a lot of turnover within workforces yeah. and a lot of the senior people either moving on or getting you know, detailed out to specialized products. So getting the right information to the right people who might be new in their role, yeah. also very important. Exactly. And it's, it's really interesting because you both have kind of a softening of demand on you know just business side, but the labor challenges haven't really let off. So you still have a really tight labor market. You still have really high turnover, and you have you know staff that might be retiring soon. And you know a common thread for so many of these processes is that they always say it's more of an art than a science. And a lot of these experienced artists are starting to you know retire. So how do you really train new people? How do you get them productive? How do you lower the bar to top performance and eliminate a lot of that variability? So yesterday in our workshop, we had one of our customers uh, who we actually met here last year. It's actually an amazing story. We met them here for the first time. We started working with them in September last year. We had them fully deployed on our software platform by December. Um, and now, you know, a little over a quarter in, I guess six months in, um, they have over 2x ROI so far, and about 50 weekly active users on the plant floor who are using it you know, daily to perform their task in a more efficient way. And it's really cool to see because I think a lot of people are concerned about, you know, maybe they've gotten burned by tools in the past that didn't live up to the potential. So I think a lot of people really enjoyed hearing what did they actually do, what did they see, how was this successful compared to other things that they've tried in the past? I mean, you're anticipating my next question, I guess. Uh, I think you're exactly right that you know when people do these digital transformation projects, it can feel a little hypothetical. And then when mm-hmm. they you know try to do it, there are 
you know, obstacles to overcome or stumbling blocks or, or pitfalls. And, and this sounds like a really successful case study. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what your client was doing that maybe other organizations don't? What was their story that they found the success so quickly? I think one of the things from our perspective that they did extremely well was the cross-functional team that they had throughout the whole program here. Because what there's always things that go wrong. Um, you know, the data integration may not be as simple. There's some data points that are not available. Um, so how do you deal with the things that might change, especially in the beginning parts of a program? But they had from the start, you know, the C-suite were engaged. They cared about it. They knew the goals. We had aligned on very clear success criteria. And they had people from engineering, from operations, from quality, from IT, all on board with the program at the start. So whenever something happened, a blocker that we needed to fix, they jumped right on it and fixed it. And so we could move through you know, different challenges and iterations really quickly. And you know, it's a very simple thing, but it's a you know, fundamental prerequisite that you, know, you have executives that care about it and a team that's capable of supporting the program. And we had a very tight collaboration with them. We were meeting with them, or we still are meeting with them weekly on progress because you know, everyone always says it's a journey. And, and it's really true because there is so much value going from you know, not having a lot of visibility. What usually starts is that you're just eliminating a lot of variability. So that ROI that they've gotten in the first six months is still purely scratching the surface here. And so as we're moving through, you know, more and more use cases, more and more ROI, we're probably going to continue to stay really close with them because there's there's still a tremendous opportunity to expand more. I'd love to get into what the experience is for that frontline worker who now mm -hmm. has this tool in his hand, who is getting the information he needs. How has his day-to-day uh, -day working life changed since this rollout? Yeah, sometimes it's a lot about um, really getting better expectations. Um, one thing that we've found, and this is a I like this example because it's very tangible, simple, and uh, you can drive a lot of value quickly. Um, different operators tend to do things differently uh, between different lines, between different shifts and different products, and especially targets for how a given product should be made might be set annually from the ERP system, and different lines have different capabilities. So what you end up with is a target that isn't that impactful for the operator. And so maybe a junior operator will try to hit that target, but can't. A more seasoned operator knows that, well, if the target is 1,500 on this line, I can make it at 1,700. But on this line, I can only make it at 1,300. So that domain knowledge that they have can allow them to be as productive on each given line in a way that the junior operators can't be. Mm. So one of the things that we do is we generate data-driven targets for every product and line combination based on the 75th percentile of operator behavior. And so very simple from an analytics perspective, but very impactful because everyone understands that 75th percentile, you're not shooting for the moon. You're just lowering the bar to the you know, reasonable performance. And you get a little bit of gamification because everyone knows that these recommendations is something that I know I can hit. And I want to be you know, in the 75th percentile or above. I don't want to be below that. And so for the operators, they then know that the target that I'm getting on this product, on this line, is impactful. I can do it, and this is how I do it. 
and you can increase performance. We had another customer where we did this, where we you know, increased the target coverage with 400%. And so that drove 16% increase in output or 1.1 million additional pounds of material out the door. And so that was, you know, while also increasing the yield with 0.3%. So that was increasing output while, you know, maintaining or improving quality, which is really cool. So they just get better information in real time about what's expected of them. And it's not the sort of thing that uh, a plant manager who knows his business could do in his head. He needs tools to, to make this happen. Um, why don't we talk about from the perspective of uh, middle management or senior management who has been given this tool but needs to populate it with real data, who needs to understand the challenges his people are facing. What is his experience with the tool? So they don't really need to populate it. We really gather it from the historical data itself. Oh. So they don't really need to do much actually. Um, and this is just the, the, the starting point. So this is something that we can roll out very quickly. Eventually, and I mean, it, it's still looking at just, you know, eliminating a lot of variability, lowering the bar to that performance. Once you get further into more and more advanced capabilities, like predicting the quality in real time so you can get better and better recommendations, going above that 75th percentile more towards what's theoretically possible. Um, then there might be more engagement in between engineering and operations to really validate predictions and recommendations and make sure that there's a good interaction between engineering and operations on how to really make this better. Um, one interesting use case that we've seen more and more now, this might be a you know, sign of the macro times, is that this type of data is also being used by finance teams because if you have a target, let's just again use the 1500 as an example, it's set from the ERP system because that's how all the costing is done. But if every product is made differently on every line, especially across many different plants, that means that your costing is you know, not accurate. Mm -hmm. But if you can get accurate rates, accurate material consumption, and understand where you can optimize both of those things, you can be way more efficient with your cost accounting, with your margins, and your you know, pricing power as well. So that's something that we've seen in the last you know, 12 months that we hadn't seen in the previous three years when everyone's just focused on how do I make as much as possible. I could also see it being a, a huge help for sales and operational planning and forecasting, mm -hmm. like where are you yeah. going to have the capacity and when? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we're seeing you know, that change a lot in, in also how they're, planning, you know, their, how they're planning their people, how they're planning their shifts. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not even just a tool for those frontline operators. Having this tool in place allows all the other departments to do their job better as well. Yeah, and they're not necessarily going to do their job better in our tool, mm -hmm. but getting better, more accurate and accessible data from the plant floor improves a lot of other things. Scheduling, cost accounting, planning, and, and all these other things. Because if you're working with assumptions or things that have a lot of um, slack in them, it's going to you know, create inefficiencies within the organization. Now, I know you said it was being populated a lot with historical data. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some manufacturing executives might be thinking, okay, well, how clean does my data have to be to get mm -hmm. this tool up and running? Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think data quality is something that um, can really hurt a lot of programs in the beginning. Data accuracy and data quality is absolutely important. But it's also really important to think about how that improves over time. Mm -hmm because it's really difficult to get it perfect right out of the gate. So what I mean by that is, 
um, you know, we do a lot of things on the data ingestion side to handle late data, missing data, out of order data, data that is, you know, looks like it is um, of bad quality. So having an effective data infrastructure that can handle the really messy nature of manufacturing data is paramount right out of the gate. So that can solve a lot of this. The other thing is trying to find the optimal path of least resistance to improving both the accuracy and the timing of the data. So what I mean by that is quality data as an example. Oftentimes a lot of quality data comes in in the form of you know, destructive offline tests that comes in hours later. And so it's accurate, but you can't get access to it in real time. But getting a 95% accurate prediction in real time. So maybe the accuracy is you know, not 100%, but it's still indicative of where you are in that quality. And you've solved a significant challenge by just removing you know, the kind of five hour lag time to get it to real time. Another example that we've seen is any data that is um, leveraging manual input is quite challenging because people just do things differently. It's almost impossible to get every oper operator to do manual input exactly the same way. So what are the ways that you can completely automate that? Because it's also a non-value added task for the operator. So a simple example that we've done that I really like is the operators often tell the MES system when they're starting and stopping a batch. And everyone does that differently with a variance of five to 30 minutes. So if you just take you know, the time series data, what happened in the process, and you take the transaction, I did it from here to here, but everyone does that differently, it means that everything in the database is garbage. Mm -hmm. Because if you just query how much did I make, what was my average speed, what was my ramp up, et cetera, et cetera, it's all different. So we can use machine learning inferencing models to actually set the correct start time, correct end time, and the label for that, which removes the need for the operator to do it, and it increases the accuracy of the data with 80%. So I think that's really where we're going with a lot of this, because operators don't want to do these non-value-added tasks. And if they're going to label data manually, it should only be done with a view that you're building a data set that you can have a supervised model that takes over for it. And maybe it's not, you know, for 100% of cases, but at least removing 90% of manual input is a massive benefit for the operators. Saves them time, saves them training, and it increases the accuracy of the data. So I want to repeat a little bit of that back to you mm -hmm. just to make sure I've got it. Um, for organizations that are saying, you know, this sounds like an amazing tool, but we haven't been keeping good data and this sounds like it would be a real struggle. You start with what you have and having the tool in place means your data moving forward is going to be so much cleaner and you can improve as you go. Yeah. Is that basically what we're talking about? Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Could we talk a little bit about data strategy? Because again, I think, you know, with a manufacturing executive who's concerned about their current, you know, uh, what they've been gathering, what they've got records on, but understands, well, this new system is going to help me be better, but you know, it can't be incremental and, and ad hoc. There's probably a plan behind it. Um, mm -hmm. Could you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So we see a lot of, especially in larger organizations, um, think a lot uh, about their data strategy and you know, what teams do they have in place? What architectures do they have in place? What do they do? What do partners do? How do they build kind of a cohesive you know, plan around this? And I think what I've seen the best companies do is focus a lot on kind of the interoperability. A lot of companies think about you know, their own IT team, 
they're maybe hiring data scientists, they might be exploring data lakes like Snowflake or, or others in kind of getting all of the data for the organization in there. And that's great. You know, most of the best companies do that. But oftentimes when it comes down to the manufacturing data, you end up with a very different user persona. And what is quite effective is to have kind of a hybrid strategy where there's a data platform for the factory itself where the users are the core users on the factory floor, the engineering and operations teams that are using it you know, daily to improve their jobs and improve the performance. That data can then be integrated back into that kind of corporate data strategy in a way that's contextual, enriched, and accurate, which means that the people who are working at the corporate level have much better opportunities to help them when they're going to do that. Because oftentimes that high-level strategy is um, a really effective SWAT team that moves to where the business needs them to move. And so that might one day be on pricing and supply chain. One day it might be on you know, customer lead times and, and orders and communication. And one day it might be operations. But that kind of hybrid strategy of a consistent strategy for the engineering operations team on the factory floor while enabling the corporate strategy that might be more of a SWAT team that moves is something that I've seen the best in breed do. Fantastic. And I think that also speaks to what we were saying earlier, where having that data go back up to the corporate level helps the other departments. Exactly. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Exactly. We've covered a lot of ground in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Are there one or two key takeaways you'd like people to think about a little further? I think that whether it's, you know, a softening of demand or increasing in demand, whether it's, you know, the workforce challenges, it all comes down to, you know, increasing the speed of your problem solving and agility to how you react to this ever-changing environment and having, you know, engaged people with accurate data is never a bad idea. <laughs> and so it really is a journey to get towards, you know, AI-driven automation or intelligent automation. And oftentimes people are kind of daunted by where they are today. Their starting point might be fairly early, but that usually means that they have a lot of ROI and the low-hanging fruit. So it's better to just get started. Because a lot of this, you know, we've come a long way in the last five to 10 years. So a lot of the enabling technologies have gotten cheaper, better, and easier to use. And so there shouldn't really be anything holding people back anymore. Absolutely. Um, for people who have some questions and maybe mm -hmm. want to learn a little bit more, what's the best way to get in touch? So um, our website, www.odin.io, has a lot of information, has a lot of contact links. Me personally, I'm Willem at Odin.io, so you can always reach out directly to me as well. And that's uh, Odin, O-D-E-N, uh, everybody. Correct. The <laughs> Swedish spelling of the Norse god. There you go. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm so pleased we got a chance to sit down again. Uh, I think some of the listeners of the podcast will probably remember we've, we've spoken a few times, but mm -hmm. uh, I think this is the best one yet because it's about the people using the tool, and I think exactly. that's a great conversation to have. Willem, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode of Executive Platform's Blueprint Podcast. I've been Jeff Mix. Let's do it again soon.